Hello, this is the Organic BC Podcast, and I'm Jordan Marr, an organic corn grower from the Okanagan Valley and the show's current host. What you're about to listen to is a re-release of an episode originally produced for the 2022 BC Organic Conference. I hope you enjoy it. This episode, Farmer and Verification Officer and BC Organic Conference Planning Committee member Jolene Swain talks to host Jordan Marr, that's me, about the permitted substances list for organic operators in Canada. This conversation is primarily for people who are new to certified organic production, but aims to be helpful for anyone who has struggled to interpret the list or understand how to avoid using restricted inputs in their operation. All right, that's it for now. I'll talk to you in a bit. Hi, my name is Jolene Swain. I'm a biologist by training, a seed farmer by passion, and an organic consultant by nature. I've done my master's work in organic orchards with insect pests. I've gone from inspecting farms across the province to being really active in the organic community for the past eight years and counting. Um, in the past six years, I've been market gardening and growing seed crops organically at Woodgrain Farm in Northwest BC. I've been working with the organic industry for eight years in crop livestock processing, and I'm always happy to help navigate the standards and talk about organic ideas and solutions in agriculture and in life. Jolene Swain, thanks a lot for joining me on the Organic BC 2022 conference podcast. Thanks for having me. Jolene, you, like me, are on the conference organizing committee, and I think it was your idea to suggest we do a cover the topic of the permitted substances list um, from the Canadian organic regime. And I'm, I'm just wondering if you could start by telling me why you made that suggestion. For sure. Um, one thing I've found as an organic verification officer or inspector, whatever you want to call it, is that a lot of new operators feel very overwhelmed in the beginning about what they can and cannot use. So I see this all the time when I'm visiting farms and even even the more experienced operators can still hit challenges with navigating the permitted substances list and figuring out what inputs they can or cannot use on their farm or as part of the processing operation. So after hearing last year's uh, podcast, I felt like kind of narrowing down into this topic could be a useful resource for new and existing operators. And I think you're right. And so did the committee. And so uh, since we always like to be covering the standards in one way, shape or form, uh, when we when we have the conference, this seemed like one way to do so. So we we appreciate the suggestion and we're going to get going. But I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about your background as far as being a verification officer. So let's establish your kind of your areas of focus or expertise, Jolene. What systems do you inspect? I inspect uh, most systems, so whether it's crop, livestock, or processing. I haven't done any maple syrup, and I haven't done a lot of uh, of organic honey or beekeeping operations. Although I have have been have a bit of experience there too. Um, so my my main expertise, just as an organic farmer, is definitely in crops. But I do we do raise some livestock, and I have visited quite a few livestock operations around the province as well as processing. So I'm fairly uh, well-rounded as far as the, the standards go. And for any organic uh, verification officer, the training always starts with crop. So we all tend to kind of really have a good expertise there and then branch further into livestock and processing. Um, and that's because 
I think crop is really the foundation of the three. I mean, when it comes to livestock, it still really comes down to how are you managing your pasture or your hay field. So the, the core of the standards is in crop, but I am comfortable across all. Although even though I have been involved in organics for eight years, we're, the the standards are they're still there as a guide so i don't know everything off the top of my head and i the great thing about having standards is that you can reference back to them yeah i mean the standards are pretty comprehensive so um i think there'd mm-hmm. be probably i imagine very few people who could who could recite them <laughs> um except maybe uh, rochelle <laughs> i knew yes we all I, you didn't even need to say that most people listening will be from bc and everyone was thinking except rochelle eisen <laughs> exactly <laughs> um you're a farmer too, Jolene, and I, I thought we I'd also um, ask you before we kind of get into it, um, how has your farming informed your inspecting and vice versa? Being a farmer has definitely helped me help other, well, not necessarily help other farmers, but understand their processes. So knowing that there's things aren't really cut and dry. And as an example, you know, I'll talk to people who are considering transitioning and they've interpreted the standards as being you know, very rigid and like, I need to know exactly how much of this uh, input I'm applying per acre and have that documented. And I'll kind of be like, okay, well, hold on a minute though. Like if I were inspecting you, I would probably see how much of that input did you buy? When did you apply it? Do you remember how many bags you applied? And we can, we can probably figure that out, even though, even if you haven't done the calculation beforehand. So just knowing that farming is a, you know, there's a lot going on and the everyone's records are going to be a little different and knowing just how to navigate them. So being an organic farmer has really helped me figure out other people's processes and how to make sure they can pass their audit. Okay. So Jolene, let's, let's actually start talking about the permitted substances list. Um, I think, I think it's probably important for the beginners. I mean, this will be, this will be nothing new to people who have been certified already, but could you, can you talk about the two major documents um, uh, associated with Canadian certification? Um, the permitted substances list and the um, general principles and management standards? Sure. Um, So yeah, the two main documents that producers and operators are going to to encounter are the permitted substance list, the 311 and the, the organic standards. So the 310 document, and these are really not as um, intimidating as they appear. They're actually fairly, they're not super long. The sections that might be relevant to you are, aren't that hard to find. So I do really encourage anyone who's new to organics or interested in it to, to just download these documents and, and read them over. The important thing to realize is that they don't stand alone. Um, they're really, it's important to interpret the permitted substances list, but it often refers back to the standards. And I think I'm sure this will come up as we're chatting today. But the permitted substance list is interesting because it's very unique in Canada compared to our biggest neighbor organic product producing neighbor, I guess, which would be the United States. So the U.S. standards are slightly different from the Canadian standards. And when it comes to permitted substances, rather than have a list of what you can use in the U.S., they have a list of what you can't. Whereas in Canada, what we have is this list, this list of things that you can use. But of course, it's not going to be very specific like you can't go there and, and find a brand name of a product you can use. It gives you kind of a general idea of the ingredients or types of inputs. And then the standards give you that kind of bigger picture of like the the whole operation, um, the principles of being organic and 
Um, just because you can, something is listed in the PSL doesn't mean you can automatically just use it. Like there are, there's a lot more to consider when it comes to organic farming, the whole, the whole system. Okay. So the, the permitted substances list, or what I'll largely be referring to in this conversation as the PSL, um, is basically just a long, long list of what you can use in your operation. And by, uh, you can infer from that list that anything not on the list, you should be very, um, cautious about using without, without seeking clarification. Um, and then there's the, 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 the larger kind of general principles and management document that is more of a guide to how one should be practicing, um, their field of organic agriculture or processing. Where would you suggest people start really quickly? Like, is it, is it in your experience, is it better to start if you're, if you're approaching these documents for the first time, is it better to start with one over the other? Uh, I would definitely say you'd start with the standards because other the they're a bit more of a you know the bigger picture the the, the considerations behind things um, and the other thing about just to mention about the PSL is that it is broken up in different into different sections so if you are really keen to know like what types of soil amendments are out there you can go to the section 4.3 4.2 of the standards and and read through that. If you want to know about cleaners, you can go to section seven. Um, there's definitely particular parts of the PSL that you might want to go directly to, but I think for the kind of overall general um, principles around farming organically, the a good place to start is the standards and the relevant section to use. So section five kind of covers crops, and section section six I think is for livestock. Um, you know, products and composition is down in like section eight and nine. So you can kind of uh, narrow down where you get started. And of course, start with section zero. Like there's actually <laughs> uh, the very first part of the organic standards is like the introduction and the, the principles. There's the four core principles start there. Uh, we often overlook those because we get lost into the details of all the different clauses and the permitted substances list. But going back to the core principles is really important because again, back to that, what I said earlier around just because something is on the PSL doesn't mean you can just automatically use it. There's a bigger picture to organic farming than, you know, yes, it's okay to use uh, microbials. Right. And it's, it's a, that's a good point. And I, I kind of wanted to try and get at an example of how the two documents interact and, and, and for within my own farming too, that, that can come up very easily are cleaning the use of cleaning products, say in your packing room or elsewhere. And, uh, or the use of compost, which can various forms of compost in their feeder materials can get, uh, challenging and confusing. I think I'll, st I'm in a, I'm in a focus on cleaning products because it's a little more straightforward, but I just, uh, I just want to have you confirm that I have this about right. Um, it has been, it has happened to me recently that I've needed to go in and make sure I'm using the right cleaning products in my packing room. And if you go straight to the, to the PSL, as you outlined a little bit earlier, you're going to get a list of, um, what you, what you can use in your operation. Um, but I have, I, 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 when I, when I went and looked that up recently, I found that, um, just something that is, is wrote to someone like you, the use of the phrase, um, removal event was was mm. briefly confusing to me and that's where mm. if you go over to the general principles and management you get you get a little bit in the section related to cleaning products you get a little bit of an overview of definitions and just like again mm -hmm. general approaches so um 
it can you can easily get confused if you only go to one document. They're really meant to be used kind of together. Is that fair? Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, and and that is a real another good point that you mentioned is that list of definitions. A lot of uh, it's really good to look that over as well when we kind of start with the the standards and you're trying to introduce yourself to organics. What does commercial availability mean? And what is a re removal event? So that's a yeah. That's a really good point. And that's a good example of how they do work together. The other main example I find, which uh, comes up a lot is, you know, let's talk, let's consider a pest management product. Um, you know, people might cr critique organic for say allowing a certain substance. Oh, well, organic growers can use this. And it's like, well, they can only use it they may be able to use a certain product, but only under particular circumstances. So when it comes to say pest management, section 5.62 in the main standards and 3.10 is pretty explicit about like, have you tried everything else first? Have you, do you have good cultural practices? Have you, you know, done, done your due diligence and tried to manage the pests as best, as best you can and using an input is the last part. So, that's, I think that's a, a really important part where they kind of work together. Like, even though you might submit a product to your CB and say like, hey, can I use this to get rid of this pest? They're going to say like, well, have you tried? What else have you tried? And they could say no. Like, well, no, try, try harder. <laughs> so have you, how frequently or have you ever had to highlight during, during an audit that, that someone has used something that the PSL says is permitted, um, but the way they've used it? Uh, is not in accordance with the larger goal of the standards? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mean, keep in mind, of course, like VOs do not make decisions or or provide recommendations. They, they pretty much, they just kind of have to communicate what they've seen and observed on site. Um, and then it's up to kind of the certifying body to make a decision based on that. So I just want to also kind of clarify those roles. Yeah, I mean, you. Yeah. It's it's worth it's worth emphasizing that 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 verification officer are 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 really neither kind of sort of judge, but definitely not jury or executioner. You, you're you're just passing on aspects of your audit to to the operator's certifying body, and then a committee out of the certifying body makes final decisions on on how to act on what you've seen. That's right, and I, I'm a I'm an inspector, but I I do also work on a committee, so I, I do see both sides of this. And when it comes to instances where something might be permitted, but they're not using it responsibly. Um, one example I'll give is something like calendar spraying, where you just basically see that someone is just regularly using some input, often, you know, on a larger scale industrial type farm, you'll see, you know, the very consistent, uh, you know, pest inputs, whether it's BT or spinosad or um, some other sort of uh, just rotation of pest inputs. And then you have to kind of stop stop them and be like whoa 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 like you have used a lot of inputs and it just seems like you're not actually managing the core of the problem here the, these are tools to use when you really need them they're not there to just kind of use on on a regular ongoing basis right so i want to i kind of want to re return to this oh, this larger kind of notion that we're we're circling around which is you can't go to the psl see that something is permitted and and then just like go and use it willy-nilly from there you, you you need you need to look for all of the context that exists in either one or the other document um, if you don't want to run afoul of the regulations 
it, let's start let's start digging in a little more into the PSL itself. So as you mentioned, there are different sections that that you know some of which will apply to an operation and some won't, which is one reason not to get too intimidated when you see the length of the document. Um, but if we start, a, a good one to start with is 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 the crop production section, just because um, another nuance of the PSL that is very important to pay attention to is that in um, some or all of the crop production section of the PSL. When you see the list of substances, you see one column naming the substance, another column that naming the substance that's that's allowed for use, another column cl adding any clarification, like if there are any exceptions or, right. or anything like that. And then there are two more columns that divide the um, reason for use into soil input or amendment, or that's one column and the other being like a, a crop production aid. And I just thought it was worth highlighting because this exists in different forms elsewhere in the document as well, that you, you've really got to pay attention to those columns because it gets at what you were saying to a minute ago, that often something may be permitted, but only in certain circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, new to the 2020 standards are these two columns. There used to be in two separate tables, but there's so much overlap that it's really great to have them together together now. But there, it is still important to look at which column something lands and if it doesn't land in both. Um, a good example of that is, uh, you know, in mushroom production, a soil amendment may not really apply because you're not necessarily growing mushrooms in soil, you're growing them in a substrate. And soil is very different from a substrate. It's a living kind of breathing thing. And whereas substrate can be a fairly inert substance. So they're the two different environments and so different uh, regulations apply. And this is another example of where you have to go back to the main standards 310 and check your section on on mushroom production. So moving on a bit, then I, I know one of the topics or subtopics that comes up with regards to the PSL uh, all the time is uh, every it seems like every operator wishes that um, they could just be looking up the brand names of things because one source of confusion is that a lot of let's just focus for in this case on soil amendments there's lots of soil amendments that are primarily marketed as a brand name um and you won't go into the psl and and find brand names so could we could we could you could you expand on that a little bit and and how how best to approach this issue when when there's a specific branded product you want to use and how to ultimately figure out if you can use it yeah uh that's a really really good question um and i think that's definitely the you're, you really identify kind of that big challenge that especially new producers encounter is it's just very overwhelming. They can't just, it's not a list of like, hey, sunshine mix is allowed and, you know, miracle grow mix isn't. It's very much tells you, oh, but peat is allowed and perlite is allowed. Yeah, so the problem with brand names is, yeah, they're, they're not listed there. So you're, you have to kind of know the ingredients and you have to think about what, what types of products you might need for your organic business. Um, there are a couple of resources out there that give that do provide more specific lists, and so we may as well get right, get right into that. The the main one that people are familiar with is Omri, and there's two other kind of more Canadian-based lists uh, that are public, which is ProCert and EcoCert. The they're all great. Uh, they're great resources to go and check out. But the important thing to remember is that it's still up to your CB. So just because a product is on any of these lists doesn't mean you can automatically use it. Uh, Omri is an interesting one because a lot of the products that are approved are approved to the, the U.S. standards, which don't always 
translate to the Canadian standards and it doesn't automatically mean you can use them. Some things are Omri core, so it's a pretty good chance you can use it, but you still have to check with your CD. Okay, I'm gonna stop you there because you, you covered a lot that I wanna kind of unpack, okay? So mm -hmm. in talking about Omri, ProCert and EcoCert, what you're referring to are these essentially organizations or bodies that do a lot of the heavy lifting of reviewing potential inputs for use in organic systems. And when these different organizations are satisfied that they're um, appropriate for organic systems, they'll put their stamp of approval on, on often it's in the branding. Um, you, you'll see, for example, the Omri logo all over the branding of different organic inputs. Um, but, but as you also mentioned, that does not equate with being on the permitted substances list or that, that any operator can use it from there. Uh, you you need to be checking with your certifying body. Your, your, ultimately, your certifying body is what what has a final say uh, on whether a product can be used. I, I also want to say so. So I'll just touch in. Is that fair? Did I summarize that fairly? Yeah. Okay. And fair then you you also mentioned NOPCOR. So NOP is stands for <laughs> national. <laughs> it stands for National Organic Program. That's what they use in the states to rep like just as an acronym representing the overall national organic system. NOP. And in Canada, we use COR, uh, Canada Organic Regime. So as as you were pointing out, Jolene, if you happen to see a stamp from Omri that says Omri COR, you could be slightly more optimistic that it's going to be allowed. But you still have to go and check with your certifying body. That's right. And the thing to keep in mind is that. Uh, places like Omri is like a third-party reviewer. So often the manufacturer will submit their ingredients to Omri and they won't be publicly available because the, they're proprietary. They want to keep their recipes secret. So the Omri provides kind of a service of reviewing a product to the standard uh, so that the CBs and operators can kind of have a bit of a resource, I guess, that way and the manufacturers can get that stamp. But the, the tricky, the reason why there are NOP and core products is that it's up to the manufacturer which um, verification they pay for and because Canada's smaller and we don't have as many uh, purchasers here a lot of manufacturers may not spend the money to get the Omri core so that means we have to do a bit more work on this side of the border right okay and um, I'm glad you made the point about kind of proprietary um, recipes because this is this is what kind of, this, this is part of the problem is you're not if you go and buy a bag of um, sunshine organic potting mix you're going to find the ingredients listed which is really handy because then you can go straight to the psl uh, and and make sure all those ingredients are allowed and ultimately even if your cb later was upset that you used it if you can literally point to all those individual ingredients being allowed you can make a much stronger case that they're they, they shouldn't be preventing you from using it but a lot of products it's not clear um and this is this is where these these third party uh, reviewers come in handy. But ultimately, it's they end up the, the documents they produce are, are uh, typically not or not necessarily available to the public. And and the this the certifi certification bodies, however, do often have access to them. Yeah, and actually, I'm going to stop you there because so you brought up Sunshine Organic Mix, and I've actually seen a really interesting example of how why this list is important and it also attests to why certification is important so you mentioned that the ingredients are listed there you can easily find them on the PSL so you're probably good to go right you still have to check with your certifying body and if you've ever picked up a bag of the sunshine 
mix that doesn't have the Omri stamp on it, you might actually find that it has those same ingredients listed and it looks like it's good to go as well. So what's the difference? Why does one have Omri? Why doesn't the other one? This this confounded me one time because we, we've sent people to buy our uh, bags of mix and they've come back with the, the non-Omri one. And, and it's just like, well, no, we have to take that back, even though the ingredients are all on the PSL. And the thing is, the wedding agents that they use in the conventional mix are not listed on the ingredients. So this is where that, you know, proprietary information or like it, it that's where it can get really confusing. And that, that's why even if a product seems like it's very likely good to go, you still want to check with your certifying body. And and this is where it's, it's probably um, useful to point out that um, <laughs> the... <laughs> It is so common. I can just say from being an operator myself that to, you know, you're you're often encountering a product you want to use right when you need it. Um, yeah. But you're 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 very rarely going to be able to get an answer from your certifying body like five minutes late after you've emailed them while you're standing in line at the store. So it's important to plan ahead if you are a new organic operator. Yeah, this is this is one adjustment you you have to make is you you need to be planning ahead because. Um, the use of essentially off-farm substances and inputs in your farming system or your processing system, this is like this is kind of gets at the core of of the regulations in a lot of ways. This is where VOs like you, Jolene, spend a lot of your time. Yeah, and or certifiers. So that's a really good point. Um, an input review, even if it is very straightforward, it can take a lot of time to come back because there's often more than one set of eyes on it. Two people have to approve it and agree with the decision they're making, and it, it can take a lot of time. So, Jolene, I wanna I wanna spend the balance of our time together talking um, now more like focusing on the context of of on, in in an operation, be it a farm or processor or whatever. Um, and I thought I thought I'd just start by asking you to talk about common. Uh, common mistakes that you see um, from operators with regards to the permitted substance lists. And and, uh, hopefully you could maybe provide some examples. Yeah, that's a really uh, popular question I get when I tell people I work in organics and I inspect farms. They want to know like, so like, what are, what are people doing wrong? When do they like, uh, you know, do they, are they, who's cheating? Who's, have you ever caught anybody doing anything and, I would say the most common mistake is generally just using a product without having to run it by your CB. So not having it kind of on your input list. Um, Hopefully that does get approved. And so there's not a lot of corrective measures that need to be taken. Um, And then of course the the main non-compliances that we see out there are are generally record keeping. So if you're going to use a product, are you keeping track of when you're using it? and how much or, and keeping your invoices from your purchases so that that whole audit trail can be verified. Um, for small operators, this can be really challenging because they're the ones doing all the work. So they they kind of remember doing everything. If you're not a big fan of record keeping, take a photo with your iPhone or write a text to yourself or to someone just to be able to at least record it somewhere at some point. Uh, but I have even used like iPhone pictures and text to like go back and record like, how many bales of hay did you pick up that day? It's a good question around like which, uh, what non-compliances and mistakes are out there. The other one you brought up was cleaners. That one is, is such a headache. (laughs) 
uh, as you mentioned, like, you know, discuss, I think because it often kind of comes up maybe not at the right time where you might be using something thinking it was totally fine. And then someone might come in and be like, ah, actually, no, I think, I think you need to change that cleaning product. There have been changes uh, with the new updated 2020 standards that I think make things around cleaners a lot clearer. Um, and so that that does come up. And the other thing that's come up a lot around the PSL lately with a pandemic going on are hand sanitizers. So all of a sudden, everyone has hand sanitizers at their booth or in their packing rooms or in the processing areas. And that's a direct food con that, could, that could be a directly food contact surface. If you're if you're using hand sanitizer on your hand and not wearing gloves and you're touching the organic product, that needs to be on table 7.3 in the PSL, which as you had mentioned earlier, that's the list where a removal event isn't necessary. I was, I was, uh, so, so you've identified cleaners as being one tricky area. I know, um, I'm right in, in saying that, that the use of off farm compost manures and uh, feed materials for compost is, is, can be really confusing and tricky for people. Is that, is that right? Yes, absolutely. So when it comes to compost and manure, those are ones that we definitely spend a lot of time on. Um, if you are making your own compost or manure on farm, then that's great. You should, you know, you, you need the appropriate records. You need to be using the appropriate um, ingredients. But if you're getting it from off farm, you need to do a lot more uh, digging and get a lot more information from the manufacturer and who you're getting the product from, or whether it's a livestock operator. You need you need some things in writing. So talking to your CB about what information to get. A lot of them provide some like letter templates that you can take to a take to the farmer and be like, can you sign this and agree that your animals can turn 360 degrees or can you verify that your compost reached these temperatures for this amount of time? Uh, those resources are out there and those are the kind of things your CB can, I think, help you with. And as we had talked about before, VOs and CBs aren't necessarily the most helpful at times. And it's, it's, they just, it's not really their role and they, they can't make recommendations and guide you. The best thing to do is to the, talk to other organic growers. Oh, what I, you know, I, I wanted to say, you mentioned hand sanitizers and um i think that's a good example of like i would imagine another area of non-compliance is often truly by accident and it's when it just something comes up that people it didn't even occur to people to think about so if i'm going to add an organic amendment into my beds before i plant like i'm going to be thinking about that like oh i have to document this i have to make sure i can use it and all the rest I think there were a lot of us who, as soon as the pandemic set in, just went and grabbed for any hand sanitizers we could without thinking about how that relate, the, the fact that that was now going to be on our hands or on our wherever and, and, and potentially coming into contact with our product. And therefore we needed to know what was in them. Um, yeah. Another one for me in, in, in crop production, I think it's very easy to like not think about coated seed so i'm not talking about treated seed i'm not talking about seed that's might you know we're not allowed to use treated seed almost period um but we are allowed to use seed with a coating that has been coated to make it you know easier to seed like in your using it in your cedar but there's an example where then you need to theoretically like you need to know what is in that seed coating so that we you so it can be um confirmed that there are no prohibited substances in there yeah that's that's a good one that that definitely comes up 
um, around the this like seed pelleting. So the a lot of them are clay-based pelletization, but they are often, if you look in the seed catalog, NOP compliant seed coatings. And what does that mean if you're trying to get this approved in Canada? So that's a really good example of something that people often overlook. And and you know, hit the nail on the head. Most operators are not making big mistakes on purpose. It's usually just little things like that that get overlooked. And that's where having that third-party verification is really important because the VO can kind of see that and be like, hey, this is coded seed. Do you have a letter making sure that this is compliant to the core standards? And if you don't, then that might become a non-compliance and you're going to have to follow up with your CB with some documentation to verify that it is indeed okay. Um, so Jolene, one thing I thought to ask you, um, just by way of example, it's in my own life, um, it, you know, it has occurred that I get pulled over by a police officer or, uh, you know, um, something comes up with insurance or taxes. And um, I don't think I'd, I'm the only one that has ever leaned on playing a bit dumb in terms of like my excuse for why whatever I was doing was not what was I was supposed to be doing or anything like that. Um, I'm, I was just like, I thought I would ask you like if you ever encounter kind of that approach to like when you catch someone with a non-compliance, like do you ever encounter kind of willful blindness or kind of just like some form of excuse making or, or like a claim of just straight up ignorance? Uh, it's a good question. I mean, this can hopefully mostly be avoided by making sure you have anything you're using pre-approved. The, the ignorance might come into play when you just don't have you might feel the pressure and you don't have the time to wait for approval from your CB. And so you might just start using something and then be like, oh yeah, I guess it's not on my list. And and hopefully that'll be okay. I, d I do find that mostly organic growers are pretty good about being very transparent about what they're using and keeping track, especially as they get more established. What I find this come up, where, where I see this come up more often is actually the people who are organic growing organically, but they're not certified. And I'll give you a good example of this. I was listening to the radio and I heard a farmer on the lines talking about how, you know, they've been organic since before organic was a thing, uh, which is a, a very true statement. The organic movement started very organically here in BC before there was all these standards and third party verification. But it, a comment he said really caught me. He said, we've always grown organically and we only used Roundup when the thistle got really bad. <laughs> and that is to me like the difference between being certified organic and thinking that you're growing organically. So while these standards are very difficult to navigate at times and feel a bit overwhelming, we have a great community out there and they are there for a reason. Um, so I'll leave it at that. <laughs> totally. I mean, it, it, it gets at the, the actual point, like the direct point you made, but, but, um, also that, that that's why we have things like the two main documents, the, the general principles and management and, and the PSL that we spent so much time talking about today, because blind spots are going to exist. And so that's, that's what, you know, um, third party verified system, like the organic system is meant to do. Uh, it's meant, it's meant, it's meant, it's meant to help you identify and, and those blind spots and avoid making mistakes that you had never really thought about. Yeah, that's right. We're we're human. We're going to make mistakes. Um, as long as, you know, we kind of do our best and try to follow the standards and hopefully catch any mistakes before they become major, 
then hopefully we can all grow together and and have a, a keep the organic community strong and connected. I wanted to ask you just just broadening out again and thinking especially of a newcomer to being certified. Can you can you talk about how like when a non-compliance happens, is it is it what is typically the consequence for an operator? Because, you know, this gets stressful to you know, when you think about all the different potential pitfalls and mistakes that you can make as an operator. So I'm just wondering like can you what is more typical? Is it mo- in most in most cases of non-compliance where you've made a mistake and allowed an input into your system that you were not supposed to? Is generally what is the consequence? Is it, it you know is it is it more like um, a bit of a slap on the wrist or is it more like you may jeopardize your uh, your certification on one non-compliance? That's a great question. Um... And an important one, I think when there is an NC, there is going to be a consequence, whether it's major or not. Um, if it's a minor issue and it's not affecting the organic integrity of the final product, it might just be a matter of you you know, updating your, your protocols and explaining why this came up and why it was an issue and what you're going to do to fix it. It's really up to the producer to present to the CB what they're going to do uh, better and why that happened in the first place. Um, if it's something major that, you know, you used a prohibited substance or, you know, oh, oops, this was a, a, the seed was coated, but it was a treated coating, then it's a little more um, important. You, you apply a prohibited substance to your land and you, you basically have to start that chunk of land over. It could mean going back into transition for a part of your property uh, when it comes to production. For processors, it might be recalling some of your product. Um, it's pretty serious. Uh, we don't see that a lot, but it does happen. Um, so there are consequences, and there, but hopefully it's something. If you're doing your due diligence and you're following the standards as best you can, hopefully it's not a major mistake, and non-compliance can be sorted out fairly easily. So I'm inferring that where where it could be more of a serious consequence is when it could be considered that the uh, prohibited substance you've introduced could be considered to be lingering in your farm ecosystem. So I would imagine if I've used a cleaner on my counter that I wasn't supposed to use, probably I'm going to need to uh, present a plan for how that's not going to happen again. But if I've introduced um, some conventional fertilizer into my soil, uh, that's where there may be some tough conversations about pulling a patch of my farm or all of my farm back into transition or something like that. Yeah, it's, that's a great example. So when it comes to using a cleaning product, if you're using something that isn't the certifying body that decides, like, no, 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 you can't be using that. Well, if you were using it with a rinse step, then, you know, there's not going to be a huge consequence other than uh, making, doing things better <laughs> and changing what you're using. Whereas, yeah, if you apply something to your organic land that's on the that's prohibited, it could be a little more significant. Maybe you could scoop out that soil. Like you've got to figure out some way of making sure that you're not introducing anything that shouldn't be there. So Jolena, one of my, I guess, I think my last question is just if you could, if you could talk briefly and broadly just about in terms of avoiding pitfalls with inputs, um, the importance of, I guess, well, just the role of record keeping. 
Yeah, the record keeping is actually probably one of the most common non-compliances. So it's not necessarily that an operator has done something wrong. It's just they haven't properly kept track of what they're doing and how they're doing it. So this is one of the, the biggest uh, challenges that is often perceived in for organic producers. It, it's one that can be overcome, though. And I think when it comes to record keeping, it's important to find a system that works for you. Um, it doesn't. You don't need to get into Excel spreadsheets if you've never used them before. Use your cell phone, take pictures, write things down in a notebook on your pocket, keep sheets in places where you need them, and that will be just fine. We'll, we'll make it work. Um, and then, of course, that pre-planning that we had talked about, when it comes to inputs, getting an answer back from your CV can take time. So the more prepared you can be, the better. Start thinking about what you might be using before the season starts, not when you're in line at the farm store. Yeah, I'm I'm someone who's not like, you know, always super <laughs> organized and precise with record keeping sheets, but I have I have learned and I do kind of personally appreciate that um, verification officers and certifying bodies are are fairly tolerant of like, look, I I didn't I didn't have all of the column headers that you wanted, but look, here is literally a blank piece of paper where I kept some notes in because I because I was desperate to get something written down. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of um, flexibility and patience and and understanding and acknowledgement that farmers are super busy, and um, so it, it may not look the prettiest, but if you can make a pretty strong case that that you have honestly recorded details, even if it's messy or not in a proper table or spreadsheet it, it's still it's still admissible yeah absolutely the 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 verification officer and the cvs will work with you and you know it doesn't have to be pretty but it just has to be kept track of somewhere write it on a calendar write it in your pocket take a picture whatever works for you jolene is there anything else that you want to cover before we say goodbye yeah, I think just to kind of cover the the basics of navigating the PSL, I just want to kind of reiterate the, the resources that are out there. So we talked about Omri, and that's a really great user-friendly website where you can go and look up products, brand name products, and see if they're on there, see if they're approved to NOP or CORE. And if they are, there might be a chance the CB will approve it too. So that's a good place where you can go look for potential um, products that are brand names that you might consider buying. I also mentioned that there was ProCert and EcoCert. Um, they're two certifying bodies that are also Canadian-based, and they have a public list available. So have a look at their list of approved substances, which, again, you can now run by your CV. And then finally, I'd say the most important resource that is out there is talking to your fellow organic farmers. Uh, when I, as an inspector, I'll often go from farm to farm. And what I see is a lot of people are all using the same thing because they've been collaborating with each other. And well, I might, then I might go to a farm where it's a new producer and they just haven't really been in the community long enough to, to gain that valuable knowledge of what people are using and applying year to year. Uh, so go talk to your neighbor. If you're, if you're shy or if you're a curmudgeon and you just don't want to, well, well, maybe hire an organic consultant just for that early stage of figuring out what you can and cannot use and what you might need to start looking into that's all good advice and i i should add you know if you want to tr if you're if you need to submit a product to your cb to make sure it's it's allowed to use you can help uh expedite the process by if you've discovered that omri has a current certificate for that product or pro cert or echo cert you you know submit that to your cb it'll it'll help them 
gather uh, the material they need more quickly to to make a decision. Yes, that is such a good point. So also I'll add to that. So you want to submit those certificates. Uh, if it's any kind of project that has an SDS, submit that and also submit the label of the product so that the more information you can give the CB off the bat, the better. If you just submit a picture of the, the bottle and it doesn't have the ingredients listed and the SDS isn't there, they're just going to, you're, it's going to take way longer. They're going to send it back to you and ask for more information. This especially applies to things like cleaners and detergents. They're, they need to see those ingredients a lot of the time. SDS being a safety data sheet. That's right. And and just on the note of cleaners, while we're talking about it, and because I think this one's often a confusing one as far as inputs go, the a good thing to review that's in the new updated 2020 standards is the section on detergents, soaps, and surfactants, and wetting agents. Have a look over those because and when it comes to detergents, those ingredients are not listed in the PSL, but there is a section for detergents. And what is really important when it comes to some of these products is their biodegradability. So when you're overwhelmed by these cleaning products and what to use for soap, one thing to keep in the back of your mind is, is it biodegradable? Because then there's a pretty good chance if you can show that documentation to your CB, it might be an okay product to use. Jolene Swain, thank you so much for taking the time to, to come on the Zoom and explain the PSL to us. I'm sure many listeners will really appreciate it. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to chat inputs and all of that anytime and hope to see some producers at the conference this year. All right, that's it for this episode, everyone. There's not much more to say. So we'll finish things off with my four-year-old son, Levon, reciting clauses from the Canadian Organic Standards General Principles and Management document. 6.5.3 While in transit and before slaughter, animals shall have shelter against inclement weather, such as wind, rain, and excessive heat or cold. 